Listening Dog Media. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Offside Rule. We get it. Brought to you by a Wolves fan, a Manchester United fan and a Liverpool fan. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Offside Rule podcast, We Get It, supported by Continental UK, with myself, Lindsay Hooper. Kate Ball, say hello. And we don't have Hayley McQueen, we have a different voice, but a familiar voice. It is... Faker Others, good afternoon. Hello, it is afternoon now, but whenever you're downloading this, be it morning, <laughs> evening. Oh, sorry, it's actually it's evening now. now, I'm just on a different planet. <laughs> that's fine, that's fine. It's all inclusive, whenever you're listening, it's a good whatever. Of course, this podcast is going to be dedicated to the end of the Premier League, the title race. Oh, Kate Borsay. I'm afraid to say that Liverpool, we didn't have the parade, did we, in Liverpool? Lindsay was on standby, everyone, for the for the parade in Liverpool that didn't happen. But we kind of knew that already. And I, I think, as you'd said to me over text, Lindsay, yesterday, the club had resigned themselves not to having that parade either. It would have been very fortuitous, wouldn't it, for us to have walked away with that. But, you know, we have to reflect on the season. At Christmas time, we would have been very happy with second in the league, automatic qualification for Champions League football. That cuts down our games next season, of course. I think it's a job well done for the season. And I have to say to my Liverpool friends who were texting me back in April going, are you coming to the victory parade or not? Shall we book the tickets? I told you so. I hate to be like the, the kind of doom doomsayer, but it, you just need to keep a lid on stuff like that. And it just got a little bit too crazy, I think, for my liking. I got really excited because I thought we were going to have a treble, a Luton Wolves yeah. and then Liverpool. Yeah. I was so convinced a few weeks ago. I'm really gutted for you. Yeah. Congratulations to Manchester City, obviously, but it would have been lovely to see Liverpool lift the trophy. It, it seems so bizarre that a club like yours hasn't lifted the Premier League trophy. It's just strange. All right, yeah. <laughs> Look it off. <laughs> uh, the one thing I wanted to say was how great was it going into Sunday's excitement, but knowing that the title still was up for grabs, yeah. but going into it, there was still a possibility and it was that not knowing and it's a bit like Christmas not knowing what's under the tree <laughs> not knowing what's going to happen um, 
I, the only thing I would say about Liverpool and Brendan Rodgers is that I, I hope that it's not tainted for them because I think there was a lot of disappointment at the club the next day. And actually, it's a, a massive achieve, achievement to come runners-up. Um, and Manchester City, when you look back over it and you dissect their season, which we're going to do for topic one, you can see what they did and what they did well and, and the reason why they deserve the title. And of course they do. Um, we're going to actually go on to also talk about in topic two, uh, keeping with the Premier League theme, just our top three moments from the Premier League 2013-14 season. Three things that you look back on and you think that's what I will remember that season for. Um, Sean Thorne's also got Twitter topic of the week. This week on at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter, we've been asking you for the best goals that you've seen live this season. I know that myself and Faye are more out on the circuit than you are, Kate. Uh, I'm guessing this is going to be a pretty easy one for you, Faye. Uh, very, very easy. It's a Luton Town goal. I'm not going to ruin the surprise. Okay, uh, we will get on to that and I will get you to talk about things Luton a little bit later because we sort of ignored Luton when we did that. What? <gasps> what? Oh my goodness me, I disappear for a season and that's it. No Luton mentions at all. We did say congratulations to them though. But oh, we did, you. we did. Yeah. Um, we're giving you a chance to get some payback on, on this now. Um, and then we will go on for topic three, pay what you want. I don't know whether you, either of you saw this story, it was in the paper, about Albion Rovers in the Scottish League 2. They've launched a pay what you want scheme for season tickets next season we've taken that we've slanted it slightly to pay what you want for other things uh, we'll get on to that in topic three but let's begin with Manchester City being crowned champions for the 2013-14 season they've had their parade won't rub that one in either Kate um, but let's reflect and now that the season's reached its conclusion the leadership, you know, changed hands a record 25 times in one season. It's been one of the most entertaining title race challenges that we've seen for many years. Uh, Manchester City spent just 15 days in total at the top of the table. They were top when it mattered, and that was at the final game of the season. So it doesn't matter about all the others, but Arsenal spent quite a chunk of time there, didn't they? As did Liverpool. 128 days. Yeah, that was, that was Arsenal. Liverpool, was it 59 or something roundabout? that that. Um, Yeah, but there were many other teams that had more time at the top but of course when it mattered it was Manchester City that came out on top after defeating West Ham 2-0 on the final day. So I'm asking you to pick out two moments each in the season that you think defined their champion winning credentials, please. Uh, You can pick a player, you can pick referee decisions, you can pick a result, anything at all, starting as Hayley McQueen's away with Kate Borsay. Well, I hope I'm a worthy stand-in. I tell you what, for starting first. Um, a defining moment for me in their season actually came pretty late on, but it's the point in the season where it really matters. And it's it's important to point out that City won their last five games of the season, whereas Liverpool, of course, lost one against Chelsea and drew one against Crystal Palace. And at that important run-in, when the pressure's on, when it really counts, City just sailed through. The result for me within that, which really sort of defined them and, and, and I guess saw them through to the end of the season, was was that although City all season have been playing deliciously wonderful football, they've got players there who are spectacular. You know, you've got to look at David Silva and the skill that he's shown and the way that he's come into his own and the fact that Yaya Torre has been an ever-present force. Yes, he's had a couple of off games, but he's still had the passion and, and, and the presence, really, to drive those results forward. They've played some lovely, exhilarating football, but they've been able to grind out results where it counts. Holloway, well, that was an uh, important one for them. Everton way is the one I'm going to pick out though. Um, City won that 3-2 
But Everton had gone up. Um, City then managed to pull back um, three goals before Everton scored another. So it was panic stations really there for the last sort of uh, 20 minutes, half an hour of that game or so. Edin Dzeko getting a couple of those goals. And I know you're going to speak about him, Lindsay, about the fact that, you know, he popped up when it matters. City did it when it matters. And that's what's important, especially in a league like the Premier League. It's not just about playing attractive football that keeps the league popular throughout the world it is about grinding out results and Manchester City did that when it matters so that's certainly one of my moments as well as that final five game run towards the end of the season that really defined City Uh, well I've got a couple but the first one is um, uh, signing or bringing in Manuel Pellegrini at the beginning of the season um, in the summer that was their best signing Uh, by far I think he's been a fantastic manager for them what I've loved about Pellegrini and why I think Manchester City uh, won the league is because of his uh, calm exterior uh, all his decorum Um, when everyone else has been you know craving media attention and uh, kind of having a little bit of mind games and some of them (laughs) frankly behaving abysmally are you talking about dogs dogs chihuahuas horses and all (laughs) that stuff indeed well (laughs) um Pellegrini, for me, I really think has has made Manchester City's season. He's kept the players calm. He's kept calm himself. He hasn't got carried away and uh, won the season with quite a bit of dignity. Um, but one of the defining moments for me was the two-all draw at Sunderland at the Etihad. Um, I think that shook them um, and they weren't expecting that result. Um, it spurred them on to then win five on the bounce and then the title. Amazing how many people were affected by Sunderland this season. Who'd have thought that Sunderland would be the team to derail quite a few, especially in that final run-in? Interesting that you picked out that Sunderland result because at that point in the season, they were really struggling, weren't they? It's Gus and his miracle. (laughs) He's got my miracle. Um, loving Gus and his miracles. Um, I've chosen also a result um, going a bit a bit further back. Although I think what Kate pointed out with the Everton away result, um, this will make that I think appear even better when we th- go back to the start of the season and think that their away form was quite abysmal yeah, to begin with, wasn't it? The Etihad Stadium was proving to be a fortress, but on the road they weren't having as much success at all. Uh, they didn't win on the road until the 19th of October when they beat West Ham 3-2. Um, but it, it it felt like they really hadn't got out the starting blocks when it came to going on their travels. And so I'm going to pick out a result that came on the 4th of December, and it was against West Brom, funnily enough. Um, it was when they beat West Brom 3-2 at the Hawthorns. But I thought that that away fixture and that away result really sort of was a turning point for them. They seemed to get everything right from that point onwards for quite a long run-in. Um, and when you look back on the points they acquired over the course of the season, you see that really after that point, there weren't many opportunities for teams to get anything from Manchester no. City at all. Um, Vincent Company as well, he'd been missing. And I think this ties in with how much I think he's an important cog in their wheel as a captain. Um, Vincent Company had been injured. He'd recovered from a thigh injury for the trip to the Hawthorns. So that tied in. And I'd like to bring him into that because... What a captain he is, what a leader on the field and the way that he conducts himself. I mean, Faye, you've just mentioned about Manuel Pellegrini, but I love company in terms of his post-match interviews, the way he talks about the squad, the players. He's sort of that presence in the dressing room that you really want as a manager. So what I'm saying really is maybe a couple of things coming together at the same time. Mm -hmm. Company coming back in the squad. 4th of December, they get a a vital away win at the Hawthorns and they subsequently go on um, to get 30 points from a possible 39 away from home 
home from that point onwards. And I think that was a pivotal point for them. So I've picked out that before I get on to Ed and Jekko, which I will come on to <laughs> shortly. What else have you got, Kate? Another defining point in City's season for me is unfortunately Liverpool slip up at Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park with that uh, three-all draw and they just imploded, didn't they? Um, Seven points from the final three games of the season would have been enough for Liverpool to win it. But the loss to Chelsea and that draw to Crystal Palace meant that they handed City the opportunity without ever really giving themselves a chance. So although we're talking about another team, that for me was one of the defining points of City's season. I'm going to finish our little chat to do with City with the title by by mentioning Edin Dzeko. I just wanted to mention him as a player. I just could see that he was this impact player. He was your Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that Manchester United had many years ago um, and I'll come on to him a bit later as well but I I just actually thought that he he provided composure in front of goal uh, when Aguero was injured and they've been without Aguero lots of people said oh you know what's going to happen Edin Dzeko is a player that I think they should be hanging on to for dear life this summer. They should be giving him some rewards in terms of trying to hold on to him. And if he's happy coming on as a maybe 70-minute or a 30-minute impact player, if he's happy with that, then by all means do it because I think he's that sort of player that will always produce the goods he'll always get goals and he's got he's got a record amount actually uh, for him uh, since he joined the Premier League he got 26 goals in all competitions um, and the two that he scored against Everton must be amongst the most important ones of those shall we leave our city chat there but well done to them I think we should all say that Kate will try I know that I know that Faye will well done Manchester City (laughs) hi I'm Paul Merson and you're listening to the Offside Rule podcast um, OK, we move on to topic number two then. We're going to stick with the 2013-14 Premier League season, but we're going to go for top three moments. Um, so this is across the teams. Um, anything that you want, just a memory. When you look back on this and you're in your rocking chair when you're both 80 and you think it's 2013-14 season, what do I recall? What do you recall? Start- I hope I don't sound like that when I'm 80. <laughs> Starting with Faye this time. I hate using this phrase. It's the worst cliche in football, but the managerial merry-go-round. The sackings. um, You know, look what happened to Norwich, Cardiff and Fulham. Fulham, three managers, which is just, you know, absolutely bonkers. Um, Only one club has really had success from changing their manager and that as I mentioned earlier is Tony Pulis at Crystal Mm. Palace so that is a standout thing for me Um, (laughs) I'm sure both of you have probably got this as well but Alan Pardew's behaviour this season Um, first of all uh, swearing at lovely Manuel Pellegrini on the touchline which was pretty rude Um, he obviously did apologise as well but um, yeah really letting your head get to you and then letting your head get to you in a different way by headbutting Hull's David Myler. Um So, yeah, that, that, that also, um, I don't think anybody will forget about that in a hurry. Um, and then, of course, the mistaken identity. Kieran Gibbs and uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was just hilarious. Andre Mariner. Um, I know it's not funny, but it was funny. Um, I just put in massive capital letters when I was thinking of, of things. Oops! It was one of those heart-in-mouth, sinking sensations sensation feelings uh but yeah those are my three standout 
standout things. I'll continue with the manager theme, really. And I think I, I you know, I can just echo uh, your sentiments there. Getting rid of managers when clubs should have stuck with them. What a waste of time I've written here very angrily. Uh, you know, Cardiff replacing Malcolm Mackay with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. West Brom replacing Steve Clark with the hapless Pepe Mel. Obviously, that's oh, come to an end so now. Oh, Pepe but Mel. he was hapless. Uh, Norwich, you know, you can't tell me that Norwich were better off without Chris Hewton and with Neil Adams instead, the academy manager or coach or whatever he was. He just looked woefully out of his depth. He looked like some sort of 17-year-old kid with a big whenever the cameras turned oh, on him for what? a press conference. He was so lovely, though, because I interviewed him before the Chelsea game and he said, I'm really excited to be standing on the touchline next to Jose Mourinho. Exactly. <laughs> completely out of his depth. I know, but I was just like, <laughs> uh, Fulham, you know, to a certain extent, replacing René Mullenstein with Felix Magat. Thank goodness, Faye, we both work for Premier League TV. We don't have to keep editing out any of Felix's... Well, in fairness, that's that's only slightly worse than when it was Martin Yoll who used to do his press conferences sitting as far back in his chair as possible and you'd come back to edit the audio you go I can't hear a word he's saying and I turned it up to the max it was a nightmare I, th- I think they just should have stuck with Yoll anyway the appointment of Mullenstein was a little bit weird I can see where they're coming from mm. but they just should have stuck with Yoll for me um and it just led to a succession of managers this season that you'd never have dreamed. This is the important point. You'd never have dreamed of hiring most of these people at the start of the season. Most of the guys who came in would never have been on the wish list, would they, at the beginning of the season? And it read like a who's who, like a who? <laughs> Who's who? Do you know what I mean? Like, who are some of these people? Uh, Lindsay. Okay, well, if you're going to go for the managerial departures, I'm going to go for the arrival of someone into the Premier League that I was very excited about. I think last season or the season before, we'd muted about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer being so successful at Mulder and when would he t- his time come and he'd arrive in England. Now, I thought at that point he might come to a championship club and I think he probably would have been better off. I mean, he's ended up... He's ended up with a championship club <laughs> but I think he would have been better off going to a championship club guiding them up and doing it that way and he should have gone to a steady club a Nottingham Forest or a Derby County or someone where he had the, the backing of the board and not a Vincent Tan owner basically um, I'm just disappointed I think it's something I always remember Ole Gunnar Solskjaer coming and, and managing <laughs> in the Premier League and failing yes but what time was he given to turn it into a success? Not much. And does this show him at his full potential? A lot of a lot of distractions at Cardiff, weren't there, to talk about in terms of press and um, in terms of who was calling the shots. I think that he's made a bad move and that might actually taint his, his future career in English management. Mm-hmm. I hope he pulls it around. I really do. But I think that's what I'm going to remember the season for is that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came here with all these sort of big expectations from myself and didn't deliver them and I hope he turns that round um, I'll also go on to um, we'll, we'll switch between ourselves as well I know that Faye has gone ahead and done all three oh, of yeah, hers sorry. I got a bit overexcited <laughs> <laughs> that's okay um, but I'll go back to you Kate in a second but I just wanted to say in terms of a standout game I am going to go with a Liverpool game that I saw um, and it was Liverpool beating Spurs 5-0 at White Hart Lane mm. And that was a game that I will remember forever. Um, And I'm sorry, Spurs fans, this isn't sort of to rub it into you because I'm actually a big fan of of the style of play that Spurs have and the youth that that you've, you've sort of brought through in previous seasons. But it was just 
the sort of football that I love watching, the way that Liverpool played that game, you know, attacking, um, using pace a lot, um, not being scared to, to try things out. And they were doing that in a Premier League game which had all of the world's eyes on it and it was working and it was brilliant to see and when that sort of ricochets from one to another and then you're going up from 3-0 to 4-0 to 5-0 and then you've even got someone like Flanagan scoring um, excellent I just really enjoyed it and it's one of the games I think one of my top games that I've ever seen I've written here goals, goals, goals. And of course, we'll mention Liverpool with this as well. Manchester City with 102 goals for the season. Liverpool with 101. And when I remember this season, it will be about the goals. Such attacking ability. So many goals going in. And I know we're going to be talking about some of our favourite goals later, whether they're in the Premier League or not. But we've seen some fantastic score lines, haven't we? Whether they're 6 nil, 5 nils, uh, 4-3s, 5-2s. you know, 6-3s. Yeah, exactly. We've seen some mega, mega score lines. It's a bit of, you know, a real goal lover's dream. As Suarez finished the season levelling with Alan Shearer and Cristiano Ronaldo for the most ever Premier League goals scored in a season. I'm a little bit gutted that he didn't get to 32, but he's still there at the top of the record books with a couple of other players, of course. Um, interesting little fact for you about goals. The last top flight season to see two teams break the 100 goals mark, as we've had this season, was uh, in 1960-61 to 61 when Tottenham Wolves... One for you there, Linz. And Burnley all did it. But yeah, unheard of in the Premier League era uh, to score over 100 goals a season for two teams to do that. Chelsea scored 103 back in 2009-2010. Uh, but yeah, you've got to go back to the 60s, the early 60s, to see uh, that many goals go in um, for, the two, for the top two teams. Yeah, Kate, I think it's incredible, actually, that season on season, we think, can we possibly see any more goals mm. in, in the Premier League? It seems that we can. So next season, I'll be uh, getting a season ticket, I think, so that I can go and see about, I don't know, 100 goals for a season. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be a disappointed customer if I didn't. <laughs> anyway, um, I think looking back on the season, one player who's managed to break into my top five favourite players, I think, that's what I will remember. I will remember Mr. Ross Barkley. I love him as a player. I think he's got such potential. I really hope he has a great World Cup because Roy Hodgson has declared that he's in that squad. He's going to Brazil. Mm. And I've got a sneaky feeling he might start a few matches. I don't think he's there to be a fringe player, a squad number. I think he's going to do some business. And I think he's going to be one of the best players that we've seen for a long time. Um, I just hope he doesn't get injured because that's the only thing that can sort of upset these arguments. But he is in my top five. Um, I, I just love his strength. I love his mature head for his age as well when it comes to a footballing brain. The sort of passes that he can execute remind me of Gerard. His finishing ability reminds me of Suarez at times. You know, the fact that he can find the back of that net. He knows where the goal is. And he's going to be a game changer next season, I think. Is he the new Gaza? Yeah, quite quite possibly he is. I wouldn't like to say the new anyone. I think he's the first Ross Barkley. There we go. <laughs> well, he is the first Ross Barkley. <laughs> there we go. Um, we're going to take a quick break now and catch up with all things women's football with the Women's Super League Roundup. This is courtesy of Sue Smith. Hello, ladies. Here's my weekly update. OK, I'll start off with a bit of international football to begin with. Um, England took on Ukraine in a World Cup qualifier at Shrewsbury Town. 
Ukraine, probably along with Wales, are going to be England's toughest opponents in this group. And they did find it hard in the first half. They they actually went in at half-time, 1-0 up with a Natasha Dowie header. But it was difficult. Ukraine made it really, really hard. But then in the second half, England started to play much better. Their fitness shown, their quality shown. And they actually come away 4-0 winners of that game, which which is difficult against such a, a well-organised, disciplined Ukraine team. So for me... Canada looks really good next year, girlies. Okay, on to the FA Cup semi-finals. They were also played this weekend. And Notts County took on Everton and Arsenal took on Chelsea. I've got to admit that before the game, I did actually predict it was going to be a Notts County-Chelsea final. What on earth do I know? Because Everton actually beat Notts County 2-1 and Arsenal beat Chelsea after extra time for 5-3. Sounded like a cracker of a game and I just hope that that's going to be exactly the same in the FA Cup final. I'm sure it will. There was also another important game in the Continental Cup and that was Man City took on Liverpool. Both teams were coming into this game full of confidence. They both won their last fixture and it started off really competitive and it was it was difficult to know which way the, the game was going to go. There were some excellent goals in that game and in the end Man City won the game 2-1. For me, they were deserved winners, looked like they wanted the game a little bit more. And this could be the turning point for Man City, could be that little bit of confidence and that bit of momentum that, that they need for the, the rest of the season. So uh, I think watch out now, Man City are coming. OK, that's all from me. Speak to you next week. Thank you very much for that, Sue. We are going to go on to Twitter Topic of the Week next as well, but we'll have a quick chat because we've all seen lots of live football and the Twitter Topic of the Week was the best goal that you have seen live. We will be handing over to Sean Thorne for everybody else's opinions, but I thought it'd be good to get your, yours whilst you're here. Starting with our guest today, Faye. Um, you've done lots of games and you've already told us it's going to be a Luton goal. It is. I've done loads of games this, this season and I've seen some spectacular goals, but for me, my favourite goal of the the season was Steve McNulty who plays for Luton Town and this was against Southport back in November um, and it was a stunning goal he doesn't score very many but he just stood about 30 yards out didn't move his body at all square on to the goal about 30 yards out bang on the volley didn't move and then in an almost Cantona-esque without the full arms out he just turned around and just went mm -hmm, and <laughs> nodded his head and all the players just you know from from all over just jumped on him he's such a popular guy mm. at Kenilworth Road uh, it was just the most amazing goal it's on YouTube I have sent it around to everybody I know because it's my favourite goal of the season by far it's it's brilliant I think it's great when the, your favourite goal of the season as well comes from your club. There were some great Wolves goals this season and I feel really bad that I'm not picking those out for, for myself. I'll come to yours in a second, Kate. Um, I've grabbed the microphone with such enthusiasm because I just felt like off the back of what you were saying, Faye, in terms of goals that you've seen and enjoyed, I just felt a bit spoilt this season because I've done a mixture of, of championship reporting, a few League Two games as well, and then um, a lot of Premier League games. And I joined Liverpool football club um, as one of their presenters uh, for the rest of this season and I joined in December and the first game that I get to go to my first experience of being at Anfield was when Suarez scored against Norwich so the very first goal I see is pro probably I think one of the contenders for goal of 
the season, isn't it? I like goals when there's no chance that the goalkeeper could do anything to stop mm-hmm. it. And the same happened with the other goal that I saw, which was also a Premier League goal. And that was Alex Tetty, Norwich against Sunderland. And I just absolutely leaped out of my chair. I just had to feel for Alex Tetty to be scoring that goal on the same weekend that Wayne Rooney, of course, scored oh, his yes. Beckham-esque goal. Poor lad. Uh, and that was Kasami's goal as well for Fulham, yeah. which is one of the standout ones too, isn't it? Um, one that I saw, I've seen quite a bit of international football this season and it's a standout goal for me, not necessarily because of the skill involved. It was more the occasion and the balls, actually, I have to say. Ricky Lambert coming on, uh, making, well, what was pretty much his first touch for international football, heading in. <laughs> it wasn't his first touch, though, I have to say this. This it's is what my marking words. <laughs> oh, every commentator afterwards, that, that goal for England said it was his first touch go back I defy anyone to tell me that's not his second touch because I saw him touch the ball and I think he was involved in a pass or a layoff or something but it's definitely not his first touch I wonder if they mean that his uh, they mean his first definitive touch because you've got to go through every single match report says the same thing Lindsay Hooper you are the only they copy each other (laughs) so no one no one was at the game watching and reporting (laughs) uh, apart from Lindsay Hooper but yeah the occasion and the fact that he um it was actually his birthday, wasn't it? Wasn't it his birthday? I know that he had to wait until he was 30 to kind of play top flight football. But there was another weed sort of caveat to it as well. Like, Yeah, go on, mention the beetroot factory again. <laughs> no, I'm not going to mention the beetroot factory. I don't need to. But yeah, the occasion for Ricky Lambert coming on and scoring with his head, sort of trademark Ricky Lambert goal. And that's one of the reasons I think why he's going to the, to the World Cup too, because he can come up with that. And I'm looking forward to seeing him in action in Brazil. You had to get that in there, didn't you? We're going to Brazil. Uh, Here's Sean Thorne to deflect the attention away with what everybody else mentioned in Twitter Topic of the Week. Twitter Topic of the Week. Loving the first shout this week from uh, Mike Whitehead, who says, It's an unshamedly biased tweet, but both of his sons, aged seven and eight, scored worldies this year for their teams, and Mike was there. Both very similar, just outside the box, curled into the top corner, keeper had no chance. Sort of goal Lindsay loves. Dad in bits on the sidelines as both goals were their first for their clubs. Absolutely love that. Well, best of luck to your young'uns, Mike. Uh, keep us updated if they score any more belters next season. Jim has gone from one from women's football. Jess Clark against Bristol is going to be up there as one of the best goals when the season ends. Rob O'Brien, he's gone for Wayne Rooney's halfway line volley. Uh, six Music Chris, Sam Saunders scored a sublime volley at Preston in a 3-0 romp. Classic chest control, turn and hit. Unbelievable, Jeff. Dr Keith Bates is trying to sneak in some of the goals that he scored on FIFA 14. Going to have to see some videos of those or I don't think those are going to count, mate. Cheers for everyone who got in touch this week. I've been Sean Thorne and I'll hand you back to the girls. Thank you very much for that, Sean. Um, right, let's get on to topic three. We are running out of time, girls, so let's be quick on this one. Pay what you want. Albion Rovers in Scottish League Two, they launched a pay-what-you-want scheme for season tickets next season. And with that in mind, ahead of next season, pick two things in football you would want to pay what you want for. Um, I think one should be excessively cheap and one excessively expensive. It can be anything. Let your imaginations run wild. I'm not going to even try and put words in your mouth. I'm going to hand straight over to Kate Boss. I think we should introduce a pay-per-goal system in the Premier League. Just because we've been treated to so many good goals this season, let's make sure that the momentum carries on, especially for those teams that don't score a lot of goals. Uh, Is this a suggestion to pay the players Mm. per goal, to pay the fans, to pay the viewing public? Can I just say something? I don't think Norwich City fans would have paid (laughs) to watch seven (laughs) goals go past them. 
Uh, this, so, for every goal that their team scores, they pay. So the price of their ticket starts at a tenner, OK, because we can't lose money here. Although some clubs might be if we start at a tenner. But anyway, starts at a tenner. For every goal that goes in, another tenner is added. So... <laughs> this is going to break the bank. How, how rich are you? <laughs> Well, that's okay because we're really talking about a maximum. Okay, it's okay it's per fan. So if you're if you've got Norwich versus Liverpool, yeah, and Liverpool knock in six, Liverpool fans pay seventy quid, ten plus six goals, yeah, tenner per goal. Norwich fans score none, just pay the tenner. That's it. Kate Borsay, you have turned anti-football. What? Because you're getting fans to go to matches and they're going to hope that their teams don't score to keep their bank balance down. I think Kate Borsay is best friends with Greg Dyke <laughs> in the bonkers stakes because that's one of mine. I would pay millions to get inside Greg Dyke's brain and now Kate Borsay's uh, to find out why he thinks B-leagues are a good idea. So we take from that that Faye doesn't think they are a good idea. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, our views to be revealed another time, folks. Um, we're going to move on. Uh, I'm going to pay because we've gone for excessive. Um, and by the way, I'm going to skim over Kate's point because I've just got no idea what she was talking about there. Um, I'm going to pay probably around £100 million. And I'll tell you why I've justified that, that figure in a second. To change Gareth Bale's birth certificate to say that he was born in England. He's not Welsh. He's English. We're going to take him to the World Cup, put him in our side and we're going to win the World Cup or we're going to win a European Championship, a major tournament anyway. And what it's going to do and why I can justify that price tag is that we all know what happens. We saw Spain. They've been on fire ever since that they won the World Cup, the European Championships. It makes you um, go to work with a smile on your face. That doesn't happen very often. People, they like each other a lot more. They give way in the street. There'll be less car insurance claims. That's number one. Um, but generally, trade and the economy will improve because we'll be happier. And that means the £100 million, actually, if you speak to David Cameron, to turn things around in this country, bargain. It's a snip, isn't it? So £100 million to change Gareth Bale's birth certificate, please. And anyone Welsh listening, I know that you want to hang on to him for dear life, but you've got to admit it, he would make an absolute blinding addition to the England squad. A couple of options for my next one. Set Blatter, what are we going to do with him? A couple of options here for um, paying a very excessive amount. Option number one... I mean, we, we just need to sort him out. I just want to see the end of Set Blatter. Not in a macabre way, but I just think... <laughs> um, that's not what you said earlier. <laughs> anyway, uh, I just think that for a man who's rumoured to be going for another term in office at FIFA, I mean, that just sent shivers up my spine. I just thought, please, someone oppose him who's not got a dirty track record. I had a thought, think about this as you were, you were saying and alluding to before the podcast started that you might go for set blatter um, and you were trying to think of a, a worthy punishment. What did you come up with? Because I thought of something. Well, I came up with a couple of options. Number one, I'm just going to give him a sex change. <laughs> I'm going to offer him so much money that he's going to want to take the sex change. Option number two is I'm going to pay... Richard Branson, a lot of money to fast forward the development of Virgin Galactic. And I'm going to pay Set Blatter a lot of money for a ticket on the first Virgin Galactic spaceship. <laughs> I'm just going to send him up to space. I'm going to hope that Richard Branson hasn't quite invested enough. The ship didn't really work out. Few technical problems. 
goodbye Sepp Blatter. Um, I've gone the other way now. I've gone stingy and um, cheap. Uh, so I'm going to pay Phil Bardsley, Philip Bardsley, a minimum wage for a season next season. Let's see how he likes being on the breadline after cavorting and being photographed with 50 pound notes around him on a casino floor somebody who shows off his wealth and his money like that with no regard for other people i felt and to be snapped doing it needs to experience the other side of life i'm gary neville and you're listening to the offside rule seven weeks after retaining their crown bayern munich wrapped up a record-breaking bundesliga campaign with a late 1-0 final day victory at home to surviving stuttgart Claudia Bizarro netted the stoppage time winner to see the champions finish 19 points clear, seal a 23rd German title by lifting the Viking shield like Meisterschale, and showering coach Pep Guardiola in beer. Very Bavarian. Despite the treble holders' exit from the Champions League, Pep's peeps can still finish at the double by retaining their German Cup on Saturday. In a rematch of last year's European finale, Borussia Dortmund stand in their way. Jurgen Klopp's men will be out for revenge as will Robert Lewandowski. The soon-to-be Bayern striker plans to close his four-year Dortmund stint by winning the Cup after a 20-goal haul saw him close the league campaign as the first-ever top-scoring pole. Two of those strikes came on the last day at Hertha Berlin as Klopp's runners-up won 4-0. Schalke finished third and in the Champions League group stage with a 4-1 victory at home to second-bottom Nuremberg, condemning the visitors to Division 2 for the eighth time. Yet Hamburg lived to fight another day, despite losing 3-2 at Europa-bound Mainz. The former European champion stayed third-bottom and will take on second-tier Greuther Fürth in a two-legged playoff. Bayer Leverkusen made it four wins from an unbeaten five games under interim coach Sasha Lewandowski, edging Werder Bremen 2-1 to finish fourth. Wolfsburg and Mönchengladbach had been ready to pounce, but to no avail. The Wolves mauled the Foles 3-1, but both go into the Europa League. At the very bottom, despite boisterous support, Eintracht Braunschweig were relegated after losing 3-1 at Hoffenheim, while Hanover beat Freiburg and Augsburg edged Frankfurt. So, congratulations, commiserations, and here's to the cup final. Pep dropped the league trophy on the Allianz pitch. Could that be an omen? Right, girls, well, I think we've spent all the money that we possibly can for this podcast. Although I say that, I think we could do more. We might do it next season. Always spend more money. Come on. Always spend more. Uh, You're going to Rio, so I'd like a present from Rio if you're going to spend money. Oh, okay. We'll think of something. Um, Leave that one with us, Faker Others. We'll bring something back. And it's all to make amends for not mentioning Luton earlier on in the podcast when we did our love-in. Hopefully we've had a little bit of a mention for them now. Are you happy enough or do you want a final word about Luton? That's how we could end. What? Just that we rock and we're amazing and uh, (laughs) the best team in the world. Woo! I'm going to leave that with Faye. Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next time for episode 39. The Female Take on Football.